and ill wind blows, and dirty water bubbles up from somewhere bad and flows. Hey, Marie! 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 Holy Mary, Mother of God! Taxpayer. As provided by the Economic Stimulus Act of 2008, you are entitled to an economic stimulus payment of $2,100, which you can expect by 6-27-08. Your payment is based on information you submitted on your 2007 federal income tax return, such as your filing status, the number of qualifying children, and your net income tax liability. However, even as you celebrate with champagne and noisemaker and reams of shredded ticker tape, several insistent, disquieting thoughts may have insinuated themselves into the forefront of your otherwise jubilant mind. Namely, how am I to spend this serendipitous cash sum, this gracious, congressionally mandated jackpot? How do I ensure it falls into the hands of the good rather than the evil? How best can I stimulate the economy of this great, sprawling nation whose freedoms and ideals I hold so dear? Well, luckily for you, the Internal Revenue Service, in its infinite wisdom, has anticipated your queries and provided, at no cost to you, an easy-to-follow, step-by-step guide to getting the most out of your stimulus payment realizing the full fiscal potential of your ameliorative federal windfall, so that, if our methodology is followed to the letter, you, your children, and your children's children can expect a healthy, vibrant national economy free of mortgage, unemployment, and or cannibalism-related crises for many glorious years to come. Step 1. After returning home from your no-doubt important and fulfilling job, greeted by the smiles and waves of your suntanned garden-watering neighbors, step into the kitchen, fix yourself a refreshing, vitamin-rich beverage, and then beseech your three beloved $300-a-child qualifying offspring to join you for a family conference in the living room, or, if available, the study. For the sake of this example, we will assume they are all girls, and their names are Debbie, Jojean, and Shanene. Once your daughters are all assembled, sitting cross-legged on the luxurious polyester carpeting, eagerly anticipating your sage words of wisdom, inform them that, by the good graces of the United States federal government, you have come upon an economic stimulus check worth $2,100 and ask how would they like to each receive $700, exactly one-third of the total sum. Yes, Daddy, your daughters say. That sounds fair. Well, my darlings, you say, that's called socialism. I didn't brave the treacherous jungle warfare of the Viet Cong to distribute this money without regard to individual merit. But you didn't fight the Viet Cong, says Debbie, your oldest. Mom says you spent the entire Vietnam War in Indianapolis with the National Guard. 
Regardless, you say, in America, we have an economic system known as capitalism, and under the sagacious auspices of capitalism, we do not dole out our hard-earned US dollars as if they were so many take-one-only Snickers bars on Halloween. Then how do we decide who gets the money? asks Shanene, the youngest. Through a series of contrived, arbitrary challenges, Buttercup, you say, capped by a hearty swig of your delicious, vitamin-rich drink. Step 2. The first challenge, as explained to your children in the comfort of your living room or study, entails your daughters dressing up in their Girl Scout uniforms and converting the neighbors, door to door, to a fictional religion picked out of a hat. Debbie gets the hypercrystal suicide cult, which requires all followers to make a spiritual and ultimately fatal pilgrimage to Akron, Ohio. Jojean gets WKKZ-FM Orthodox, which promises eternal paradise to the seventh caller in a bi-weekly radio contest. And Shanene gets Scientology, which, though technically not a fictional religion, was created by L. Ron Hubbard, a writer of fiction, and is simply too good not to include in your handsome wool felt fedora. Your daughters are at first hesitant to don their badge, patch, and pin-laden vests and knock on the neighbors' doors with the clip-art-saturated religious recruitment literature you have provided them, but a gentle reminder of how many stylish designer jeans or posters of brooding teenage heartthrobs can be bought with $2,100 is all it takes to quickly send them on their way. With 10 points awarded for each religious convert, your daughters do their best to explain to kind Mrs. Hufferson, to the Wochinskis, to the college students leasing the four-bedroom, two-bath at the end of your street, why they must enter an irreversible vegetative state in Ohio, why they must dial now for salvation, why they must pay for an increasingly expensive series of Scientology e-meter audits developed by a man who once claimed to have traveled to outer space without his body to explore the Earth's Van Allen radiation belt. For the most part, the neighbors are unreceptive, although Mrs. Hufferson, with her hearing problem, keeps smiling and nodding her head, expecting that, at any moment, your Girl Scout uniformed daughters are going to offer her some Thin Mints, Samoas, Lemon Chalet Creams, Dosidos. Your daughters beg and plead, point out, with the aid of glossy, color-coded charts, the pluses of paradise, the minuses of damnation. But in the end, only kind and stone-deaf Mrs. Hufferson is willing to sign away her earthly soul on the designated dotted line, thinking she's ordering a dozen boxes of delicious caramel and coconut-smothered cookies. So, despite no conclusive evidence that Mrs. Hufferson was in any way aware of the basic tenets of the religions when she signed up for membership, the trillions of years worth of past lives of Scientology, the eternal nap of the hypercrystal suicide cult, the trinity of the pound sign, redial button, and speakerphone on-off of WKKZ-FM Orthodox, you are forced, by virtue of the official rules and regulations written in chalk on your front porch, to award ten points to each of your daughters, their squeals reverberating across the neighborhood, still socialistically equal in their quest for the two-plus grand, and thus ignominiously ends challenge number one. Step three. 
With the current point standings written on a dry erase board in the kitchen next to this week's grocery list and a reminder to sign up Shanene for swimming lessons, announced to the girls that challenge number two, performing involuntary fashion makeovers on the elderly, is now underway. Armed with creamy matte lipstick, shoulder duster earrings, velour, animal prints, gold lame, your daughters must stylistically assail the contestants of the local bingo night, girdling waists with corsets, constricting necks with feather boas, smothering wrinkled faces with rouge, until bingo is called, at which point each daughter will receive a composite score based on criteria such as couture, chic, and je ne sais quoi. Unfortunately, the unanticipated surliness of the fashion victim's husbands proves to be a major hurdle for the girls, and they struggle to take inseam measurements, to braid hair extensions, to bring out hidden cheekbones with coral blush and bronzer as the disgruntled bingo men swing at them with canes, walkers, oxygen tanks. Debbie tries desperately to squirm a feisty, wheelchair-bound woman into a skin-tight pleather bodysuit. Jojean valiantly braves brown-spotted fists and untrimmed fingernails in pursuit of the perfect blouse and skirt combination, and little Shanene stubbornly accessorizes with tribal jewelry, despite shrieks, hurled bingo chips, and the furious gnashing of dentures. But even with the girls' youthful fortitude, their fashionistic determination, all their aesthetic assaults, for naught. When a traumatized, trembling octogenarian with sateen leggings bunched around her ankles and a trendy, ironic t-shirt half-pulled over her head finally, hysterically, announces bingo, as if she's just sighted land after months adrift at sea, the overwhelming absence of sex appeal, edginess, and modern refinement in the bingo hall means low scores all around, and as your daughters cry the whole way home in your award-winning Jeep Grand Cherokee, you have to tenderly remind them that two more exciting, action-packed challenges are yet to come, and with the standings this close, it's still anybody's game. Step 4 After updating the point tallies on the dry erase board, your daughters still neck and neck in pursuit of the generous bounty of the Economic Stimulus Act, drive everyone to thriving, redeveloped downtown, where challenge number three, the successful, emotion-fueled protest of an innocuous cultural institution, is to take place. Points will be awarded for crowd participation, chant volume, and slogan creativity, with additional bonuses for any resulting police action. Your daughters, still shaken by the violence of the bingo hall and apprehensive about the shatterproof face shields and respirators you have given them, beg you to end the contest, to just divvy up the money equally, but you are steadfast in your denials, insistent that the challenges go on, even when they supplicate you with pathetic whimpers and moist, upturned, bambi eyes. Pick your protest from the hat, you say, gruffly, commanding them to choose the undeserving objects of their manufactured disdain, and, eventually, prodded by reminders of the weakened but still formidable purchasing power of 2,100 US dollars, they cave in, despite their misgivings, and reach inside, Debbie selecting pinatas, Jojin getting sans serif font, and Shanene digging deep into your fedora, getting Thursday. Once the protests commence, placards waving, slogans repeating, 
megaphones crackling with indecipherable fervor. Even you, who have long thought of your daughters as exceptionally charismatic, are surprised at the precipitous rate at which strangers flock to aid your children's causes. God hates pinatas, they shout. No seraph, no peace. Any day but Thursday. The crowds growing in intensity and anger, spilling into the street and blocking traffic, disrupting the pulse of the city's urban heart. Your daughters, frightened by the noise, the police sirens, the bubbling, palpable mass hatred, flee the protests and run into your arms, pleading with you to ferry them to the safety of the Jeep Grand Cherokee, to spirit them to the sanctuary of their home. But you inform them that, due to the official rules and regulations, this would disqualify their quite impressive Challenge 3 scores, and they certainly wouldn't want that, now would they? But when a Molotov cocktail is thrown into a party supply store, flames nipping at the feet of brightly colored paper mache bowls and seven-pointed stars, your daughters scream, we don't care, and you begrudgingly rescue them from the riots, protesters smashing pinatas, tearing down sans serif street signs, ripping Thursday out of calendars, blood, metal, and delicious candies littering the city streets. Step 5. When you return home, the scores unchanged, your daughters still locked in a dead heat, you announce challenge number 4, which requires the capture of a neighborhood dog, the removal of its still-beating heart, and the cooking of its carcass at the local grill-your-own-steakhouse. But your daughters adamantly refuse, little Shanene bursting into ear-splitting sobs at the mere thought of barbecuing champ or princess or fluster over a slow-cooking hickory smoke fire. Your wife, just returned from a business trip, enters the living room to find your children sprawled sepulchrally on the carpet, weeping, and demands to know what is going on. Daddy wants us to grill Fluffster for $2,100, cries Jojean, and he made us convert the neighbors, accessorize old people against their will, and start a riot downtown. Your wife delivers you a searing, censorious glare. Lenny, she says, is this true? For the sake of this example, we will assume your name is Lenny. Honey, you say, I know this doesn't look good, but the thing is, we just got our economic stimulus check, and you know as well as I that we're just going to put it toward the mortgage, the car payments, our credit card debt. So I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with it, just a laugh or two, before we have to give it all away. You mean even if we would have captured Fluffster and pulled out his still-beating heart with our bare hands, you still wouldn't have given us the money? asked Debbie. With this economy, you say? Child, please. I hate you, screamed Shanene. I hope your nose falls off. I hope you die. This sentiment is then seconded and thirded by your other darling children. Well, you say, stroking your beard contemplatively and easing into a barca lounger. I guess, gang, that we all learned an important lesson today about the perils of capitalism, the zero-sum endgame of greed, the awesome corrupting power of the weakened but still formidable U.S. dollar. I hope you choke on a tarantula, shrieks Jojean. I hope you swallow a swarm of angry bees. 
and your wife shuttles your grief-stricken children to their rooms, glaring at you the whole way up the stairs, leaving you alone, save for the economic stimulus payment, moist in your sweaty palm. You are now free to use the money as you see fit. The mortgage, the car payments, the phone bill, electric bill, unleaded gas. But just be sure to save a little extra for a trip to a trusted chiropractor. You're going to be sleeping on the uncomfortable couch in the basement for many, many nights to come. stained jumpsuit, unwashed since my termination from Big Daddy's auto garage in late April, you, radiant with beauty and your company-issued fatigues, manning the cash register at the military surplus novelty boutique and fast casual restaurant, time and time again have we reenacted this moment, you, welcoming me to military surplus, asking if you may take my order, me, thinking, yes, you may take my order, you may take everything, all that I own, my honky-tonk, my Hyundai, my heart, but saying, I'll have meal ready to eat, number three, the chicken with Thai-style sauce. Always you then ask me, would you like to try the Operation Iron Fist meal deal, which comes with fresh-cooked A-rations, 9mm ammunition, and a fountain drink, and I always answer in the negative, too short on funds for anything outside the basic menu, but it breaks my heart every time to say no to you, to deny your generous offer of fresh fruit, hollow point bullets, and a 32-ounce Pepsi for only a dollar and 69 cents more. How I've longed to say yes, to freedom-size my Pepsi, to upgrade my ammo to 45 caliber, Yes, Lucita. God, yes. But sadly, the life I've been dealt hasn't been an Operation Iron Fist meal deal sort of life, and I've had to stick with MRE number three, entree, sides, powdered beverage mix, and all the fixings stored in an airtight trilaminate pouch warmed by the included exothermic chemical heater, just $3.99 plus tax. But today, Lucita, today is different. For today, I carry in my shirt pocket, folded lovingly against my breast, an economic stimulus check 
from the federal government worth $600. And so, yes, Lucita, yes, I will have the Operation Iron Fist meal deal. Yes, I will freedom-size my drink. And what's more, the real reason I'm here, besides my incredible hankering for individually packaged high-calorie field rations, is that I want to treat you, Lucita, the captor of my heart, the apple of my eye, to one economic stimulus payment's worth of passion, a night of sensuous pleasures and romance, champagne, caviar, escargot con volavant, anything your heart desires, provided it can be purchased with $600, minus the cost of the Operation Iron Fist meal deal, and, of course, sales tax. Lucita, I know I don't have much. I know everything I own in this world is piled to the ceiling of my rusted 89 Hyundai, which, due to a dead engine, I have to physically push throughout the city, daily, to escape the ever-watchful eye of the Repo Man. But what I do have is this burning inside me. Every time I enter military surplus, every time I see you radiant behind the register in desert camouflage, every time you announce the sales total with your lovely Mexican accent, your hand brushing gently against my own, offering me my change, my receipt. So when I received my economic stimulus check, I knew it had to be spent entirely on you. No one else could be more deserving of this gracious, remunerative act of Congress. Sure, it could help get the repo man off my back. Sure, it could finance a new, non-grease-stained jumpsuit. But what's most important to me, Lucita, is to please you, to celebrate you, to thank you for providing me with at least one thing to look forward to when I wake every morning sore, starved, and sweating in the front seat of my godforsaken Hyundai. So, how shall we spend our evening together, my darling Lucita? What untold delights await us on our night of economy-stimulating bliss? I would have liked to be able to take you to the one nice restaurant in town, Shea Bocephus, but unfortunately it has been shut down for health code violations. I would have liked to be able to rent the most luxurious room in the Motel 6, but presently it is cordoned off by police caution tape due to the murder of several prostitutes. No matter. We shall simply have to improvise. Perhaps the local furniture store will allow us to spend the night in their lavish, brightly lit showroom. Perhaps the waitresses at Denny's will allow us to spruce up the decor with elegant tablecloths and napkins folded into swans. Doors open when you possess $600, Lucita. Doors that until now have always been closed to me. Let's unlock those doors tonight, my blushing, camouflaged Mexican rose, and together enter the lobby or rotunda of our blossoming love, fully funded by the boundless generosity of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Yes, Lucita, I would like extra packets of jelly. Yes, Lucita, I would like extra moist towelettes. Tonight, yes to everything. To love. To passion. To the promise of a better tomorrow. Of no longer being ashamed of my haggard appearance. Of 
no longer begging for the most menial of employment, of no longer waking up alone in my battered, repo-man-haunted Hyundai. Yes, Lucita. Yes. 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 Don't say you love me The vagaries surrounding the world Are noxious I am as ice cream And baseball to you to see the commercial in between segments of the popular television program, and that is why I can never have children. There's a non-graphic pregnancy, an infant's first steps, a dance, a graduation, a wedding, and then a voice. Your most treasured memories, it says, captured on film, on reel-to-reel, on VHS, CD, DVD, and now... Thanks to Haikaruko on Video Hologram. A family of four sits on a sofa, entranced with holographic versions of themselves celebrating the youngest child's birthday, flickering, green-tinted, above their coffee table. Every smile, every surprise, every wink, tear, and kiss realistically rendered in bold, three-dimensional detail, the voice says, as an elderly couple admire their youthful selves locking lips, projected inside a stone fireplace. That's sweet, honey, you say to your boyfriend, who drinks his third Miller High Life on the adjacent sofa cushion. Wouldn't you like to have a video hologram of our first kiss? In the back of your parents' minivan, he says. That wasn't our first kiss, you say. That was the first time we... you know... Wouldn't care much to see it now, her boyfriend says. Minivan was a poor choice. It was hardly my finest hour. The next time you see the commercial, you and your boyfriend are spooning on the couch after an impromptu lovemaking session inspired by a particularly erotic episode of the hit series Not Any Orifice I'm Aware Of. The Hikariko Holographic Home Video System, says the voice, as a ghostly bar mitzvah takes place in the comfort of a Jewish family's rec room. Recorder, projector, and screen. Only $11.99.99 at participating dealers. See, this is a moment I'd like to save. Holographically, you say to your boyfriend, whose chest you stroke with tender figurates. I asked you, did you want to make sex tapes, says your boyfriend. You said no. Not that part, you say. Right now, on the couch, being held in your arms. It would be really nice, on the nights you aren't here, 
to have your hologram lying with me, keeping me company. You know I get terribly lonely when you're away. Out of the question, your boyfriend says. We don't have that kind of money. You stop making figure eights. An idea pops into your head. Don't we get our stimulus checks in a few weeks, you say? If we pull them together, we can buy the whole system, cash in hand. We won't have to finance it or anything. No, your boyfriend says. No, no, no. The next time you see the commercial, your boyfriend eats the chicken tetrazzini you prepared for him during world's most unfortunate circumstances. The voice says, never lose another precious moment, and a mother replays her daughter's dance recital, her sparkling, laser-diffracted child pirouetting on a Formica countertop. Isn't that wonderful, you say? It's your life's greatest hits, happening all over again, right before your eyes, just greener and fuzzier and kind of flickery. It's a ripoff is what it is, your boyfriend says. 1200 bucks to watch your kid perform the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy? It's not like it suddenly gets less boring. She was three-dimensional the first time, you know. But don't you ever worry about something happening to one of us, you say? What if, God forbid, you were to die in a car crash? I would want you saved, in hologram form, so I could replay you whenever I started to miss you, when the pain of your absence became too great. Reliving moments like these, simple, domestic, as if you were still here with me, flickering in the land of the living. That sounds horrible, your boyfriend says. I wouldn't want you to do that. I'd want you to move on, find someone else, make a new life. Jesus, you're depressing the hell out of me. And you don't bring the matter up again. Just watch the remainder of world's most unfortunate circumstances silently. Businessmen being decapitated by elevators. Siamese twins tragically separated by the jaws of sharks. After your stimulus check comes, you buy the holographic home video system without telling him. You put $600 down with the rest on your card. You plan on surprising him with it on his birthday. Certain his negativity is just a front. He'll warm up to it. He'll get used to it. He's gonna love it just as much as you will. The commercial airs again, this time while your boyfriend's away. You wish he were here with you, real or hologram, doesn't matter. You get so anxious when he's gone, crazy thoughts of car accidents, plane crashes, clandestine affairs, your boyfriend seduced by a woman with an Eastern European accent, Nadia, Evka, Ivanka. For some reason, having his laser scan projection here on the sofa would comfort you, assuage your fears. Holographic videos of your early days together, when he wasn't so distant, so sarcastic, so cold. If only you had that early footage to show him now, maybe he'd realize how much he's changed these past few months, become ashamed, return to the sweet, passionate boy you fell in love with in high school. He'd have to be nicer to you, wouldn't he? Seeing his former, kinder self, ethereal and green, in the living room. On his birthday, you bake him his favorite cake, Boston cream pie. The television stays on, professional blood feuding, available only on a Cambodian satellite channel, questionably legal. As your boyfriend opens his large, lovingly wrapped gift, you hold your breath, 
anxiously awaiting his reaction, the paper tearing off to reveal the unmistakable cartoon mascot of Hikariko, a friendly robot smiling and waving, lasers shooting from its eyes. Your boyfriend is not pleased. Baby, he says, we've discussed this. Where did you get the money for this? Just try it out, sweetheart, you say. They let me demo it in the store. You're gonna love it when you see it for yourself, up close. Here, let me set it up for you. You open the box, take out the camera, read the instructions, but your boyfriend is still resistant. You put it on your card, didn't you, he says. Look, I know you wanted to get me something nice, but besides being financially irresponsible, you deliberately bought me something you knew I didn't want. What the hell were you thinking? Come on, you say, your eyes tearing up. Don't get angry. This is your birthday. Our first holographic memory. I want us to be happy. For the camera. We'll be able to project ourselves exactly as we were on this day, whenever we want, right here in the living room. This is ridiculous, says your boyfriend. It's already dull enough here with you. Why would I want to watch the reruns? You don't mean that, you say, your eyes blurring as you frantically speed read the instructions. Take that back. Why are you being so cruel? I don't know how to deal with you anymore, he says, pacing around the room. These past few months you've been smothering me, always talking about us, our plans, our future together, as if everything's all mapped out, set in stone. Don't talk like that, you say. Baby, I love you. Here, the camera's almost ready. We can fool around first if you want, if that'll settle you down. Oh, so you think if we screw, it'll fix everything, he says. Well, I got news for you. It ain't that good. You break down. Screaming. Cursing. Old wounds reopened. New ones formed. Somewhere in the middle, between hurled dishes, decimated cake, you get the camera working. A red LED blinks. You capture him in your crosshairs. See him as he is. Angry. Bitter. Hateful. He storms out, out of your living room, out of your life, but not before you record him, pointing a final accusatory finger at your lens. You, your fault, you are to blame. And then he's gone, slamming the front door, cracking the glass, spiderweb patterns forming on the panes, his hasty exit forever memorialized by Hikariko's amazing holographic home video technology, allowing you to replay this precious moment anytime you want, wherever you want. The living room, the kitchen, the fireplace, in three dimensions, in high definition, whenever the mood strikes you, whensoever your heart desires. For radios, we can know which way to go to arrive. Here among the worn out traffic and the lights, when you start laughing, now it's time. Music's in your blood, my love, and the thoughts bounce off the roof above. Sing a song. 
Better than these worthless tunes A melody that yearns to soothe my heart Anyway I tried to catch A train from New York City Straight through the mountains past Still I'd settle for a car With some music in a rusty corner bar Recall Mind So right around your windows down And all the sounds now fading out I heard I might just see you again to see if and where that spark begins to tell me straight. And I'll buy a shotgun house out west and put the worries in your head to rest. You'll see. Hold me till the morning light breaks its way into our eyes and dreams. Try to catch a train from New York City straight through the mountains past till I'd settle for a car or some music in a rusty corner bar that recall you to your heart to give my mind some rest but I'd settle for love or at least some phony version the smacks of songs I heard when my ears were attuned